You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. If you have your Bibles, look with me to Philippians, the book of Philippians, toward the back of the New Testament, the book of Philippians, chapter 1, as we were at this morning, and we're continuing this series. I want to begin today by reading you one of my favorite stories. Possibly you've heard this story before, but I think it really sets our topic of, of conversation this morning. So as you're turning to Philippians chapter 1, listen as I read this story. The title of the story is Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth and now there's gum in my hair. When I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard and by mistake I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box. Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box. But in my breakfast box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. In the carpool, Miss Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window, too. I said, I was being scrunched. I said, I was, going to, I was being smushed. I said, if I don't get a seat by the window, I'm going to be car sick. No one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At school, Miss Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. At singing time, she said I, was, I sang too loud. At counting time, she said I left out 16. Who needs 16 anyway? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said that Philip Parker was his best friend, that Albert Moyo was his next best friend, and that I was only his third best friend. I hope you sit on a tack, I said to Paul. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream part falls off the cone in the part in the ice cream part lands in Australia. <laughs> there were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag, and Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds, and Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles on top of it. Guess whose mother forgot to put dessert in? It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it was, because after school, my mom took us to the dentist, and Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week, and I'll fix it, he said. Next week, I said, I'm going to Australia. <laughs> on the way downstairs, the ele elevator door closed on my foot, and, and while we were waiting for mom to get the car, Anthony made me fall with it where it was muddy, and when I started crying because of the mud, Nick said I was a crybaby, and while I was punching Nick for saying I was a crybaby, my mom came back with the car and scolded me for being muddy and for fighting. I'm having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I told everybody, but no one even answered. So then we went to the shoe store to buy some sneakers. Anthony chose white ones with blue stripes. Nick chose red ones with white stripes. I chose blue ones with red stripes. But then the shoe man said, we're all sold out. They made me buy plain old white shoes, but they can't make me wear them. When we picked up my dad at his office, he said I couldn't play with his copying machine, but I forgot. He also said to watch out for the book on his desk, and I'm as careful as I could except for my elbow. He also said don't fool around with the phone, but I think I called Australia. My dad said please don't pick him up anymore. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were lima beans for dinner, and I hate limas. There was kissing on TV, and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot, I got soap in my eyes, my marble went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad pajamas. I hate railroad pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep, 
and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not with me. It's been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says some days are like that, even in Australia. <laughs> but some days are, uh, are just tough. Some weeks are tough. The reality is that life is full of problems, challenges, and adversity. And even Jesus said this in John 16, 11. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But here's the good news, and what we want to talk about today, the trouble in our lives that does not have to rob us of the happiness we desire. Let's say that again. The trouble in our lives, the hard places in our lives, does not have to rob us of the happiness that we desire. Difficulties does not have to drain us of joy. And if we're only happy in the good times of our lives, and this is what I know, we're going to miss a lot of opportunities to be happy. Matter that there's a whole lot of our life that's going to pass, and we're going to miss the joy that God has for us in those times. As Christ followers, we don't want to allow our situations in life to determine our happiness. Rather, we want we want our attitude and our outlook to shape our response in every situation, whether it's good or whether it's bad, whether it's easy or whether it's difficult. Martha Washington said these words. Listen to this quote. He said, I am determined to be happy and cheerful whatever situation I find myself. For I have learned that the greater part of our misery and unhappiness is determined not by our circumstances, but by our disposition. You catch that last line. That the greater part of our misery and our unhappiness is not determined by our circumstances, but by what our disposition. About attitude, about, about perspective. I believe Martha's right on the money at times. At times, happiness comes through right circumstances, but it's also possible for us to experience happiness in every season of our lives as we choose the right attitude and the right perspective. As we said last week, I think Pastor Jeremy said this last week, he was supposed to, happiness, <laughs> happiness is a choice. Would you agree with that? Turn to your neighbor, turn to your neighbor and remind him, say, happiness is a choice. Good, he said it last week. We can't choose what happens to us, but we can always choose our response. Therefore, happiness is always possible. And we see this illustration in the life of the Apostle Paul. As he is writing this book, he is in prison. So think about dark, difficult, adverse Bad food, bad company, chained to the floor, not knowing if he'll ever get out. I mean, you would agree that that's a hard place. That's a difficult place. But out of that place, Paul writes the happiest book in all the Bible, the book of Philippians. Out of all the 66 books in the Bible, I would say the happiest book, the book that has more to say about joy and happiness than any other book, is this book of Philippians. So that tells me what? That happiness it really is a choice we make. And that the adverse places of our lives doesn't have to keep us from the happiness that we desire. I think what the Apostle Paul would want us to know is that life is full of obstacles, adversities, and challenges. But in every season, happiness is possible. Every season. Now, not every situation in your life is going to be, um, is going to be easy, right? I mean, the reality, again, what life has its challenges. But what I believe and what we learned from Paul, we're going to see this morning is that in every season, even the difficult seasons, it's there that we can discover happiness. I, I think of my friend Samuel. Samuel's 13 years old. And Samuel ha has to be one of the happiest boys I've, I've ever met. Every time I see Samuel, he either gives me a high five or a hug, one or the other. 
high five or hug, and then after the hug, he always has something funny to say, or he always has a funny story to share with me. I mean, talking about gregarious, outgoing, this 13-year-old boy is like overflowing with happiness. Now, let me tell you the rest of the story. My friend Samuel was born with Down syndrome. He has a disability that uh, without God's intervention, he's going to have to live with the rest of his life. But what I love about Samuel is he doesn't allow his disability to keep him from dispensing happiness to others. He doesn't allow his disability to be a lid on his life that keeps him from experiencing the joy that God has for him for, for his life. Not only, not only does he enjoy happiness, but this is what I know. Every time I see Samuel, he makes me happy. That there's something contagious about him. Like there's something he transfers from his life to my life. So in the midst of his adversity, a bit like the Apostle Paul, in the midst of his adversity, in the midst of his disability, there's, there's great happiness. Now, as, as we think about happiness, there are some common barriers. I think there's common barriers that can keep us from happiness. And I, I want to quickly identify four. Um, so let, let me give you the four, and then I'll, just, I'll say something about each of them quickly. Here's the four common barriers that you and I have to, you and I have to deal with as it relates to happiness. It, it's pain, people, pressure, and problems. Pain, people, pressure, and problems. When you're experiencing pain, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain, oftentimes that pain can be a barrier that keeps you from experiencing happiness. Um, I, I think of my friend Joe. I was just to see Joe last week. Joe has um, numerous back challenges. They've had him on a drug called morphine. The morphine wasn't even touching the pain. It was making him feel horrible. So as I was seeing him last week, he was actually having withdrawals from the drug. He said, I'm not going to take the drug anymore because the drug's not helping. It only like makes me feel worse. And so here's Joe in the midst of leaving, living with pain every day. Yet in that, he's discovered happiness. He's a happy guy in his early 80s. But he had to move beyond this barrier. Because so pain can be a barrier that keeps us from having Not only is there, there pain, but, but there's people. How many of you know there's some people who think it's their assignment in life to suck the joy right out of your life, right? <laughs> uh, people, and people can wear you out. And now, don't look to your left or right, but it might be that individual sitting right beside you this morning. Chris, don't look. But it's true. Isn't it true? I mean, there's some people that fill my tank, and there's some people that drain my tank. When I see them coming, I go the other direction. I try to hide. Why? Because what? People can be a barrier to, to, keep, to keep us from having. Not only there, is there people, but there's pressure. When you are under intense pressure to perform, say at work, or if you're in extreme financial pressure, and you're wondering, how am I going to make the bills? How are we going to pay the mortgage? Man, when you're under extreme pressure, some of the things I know, it can, it can drain you of happiness. It can rob you of happiness. And not only is there there's pressure, there's, there's, there's problems, and problems can come in all different kinds of packages. I mean, it can look a lot of different ways. But, but what I've discovered is that problems can be a barrier, again, that keeps us from the happiness that God desires for us. But this is what I believe. I believe God wants us to be happy. Do you agree with that? That God wants us to be happy in every season of our lives. Every season means, means this. In the good times and in the bad times, what does God want? I can tell you what God's desire is for you. His desire for you is that your life is overflowing. That's his desire. 
So the, the question is, are, are we going to experience the joy that, that God has for us? Well, well, Paul gives us some insight as to how we can find happy in hard places. And we're going to talk about this morning. How can you find happy in hard places? And again, hard places can look a lot of different ways. I don't know what your hard place might be today or what it's been or what it might be in the future, but this is what I want you to know. You can find happy in the hard places of your life. Paul gives us insight to this. So let's read Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So what's happened to him? He's been falsely accused, wrongly arrested, incarcerated. He's done nothing wrong, yet he's suffering in prison. That's, what, that's what's happened to him. But notice what he says. It's been good. My hard place has been good. Basically, that's what he said. It served to advance the gospel. Verse 13, as a result of this, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble, stir up trouble uh, for me while I'm in chains. Notice verse 18, but what does it matter? Like Paul's saying, they're against me, but who gives a rip? That's what he's saying. The important thing is, is that every way, whether from false motives or truth, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Because of this, I'm happy. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And Paul goes on to speak of God's faithfulness, but let's let's stop there. So here's Paul writing in a prison cell in a hard place these words about, about joy, about happiness. He has this unbelievable perspective of the situation, and it's this perspective that actually creates his happiness. Now there's a there's a valuable lesson here in this story for us. Matter of fact, I would say that if you learn this lesson, you can actually double the happiness factor in your life. If you can, if you can catch what I'm talking about this morning, what we're learning from the Apostle Paul's life, from what he's saying in his illustration, I guarantee you, you'll double the happy factor in your life. How many want to double the happy factor in your life? So what is it? It's about finding happy in the hard places. So how can we find happy in the hard places? Really quick. There's four things that Paul identifies here in the text that we just read about how we can find happy in the hard places. The first is this: you have to look at every point, excuse me, look at every problem from God's point of view. So when you're in that when you're in that hard place, what you want to look at is you want to view it not from your point of view. How many of you know your point of view is always limited? Would you agree with that? Your point of view is always skewed. Your point of view, most likely, all the time, is exaggerated. So you don't want to look at it from your point of view. You want to look at it from God's point of view. Look back to verse 12. Paul wrote these words. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. When I read that, it's like, Paul, how can you say that? How can you say that this place you're in, this hard place you're in, is actually a good place? How can you say that it's a benefit? How can you rejoice in this hard place? 
he can rejoice because he's elevated his perspective. And I think that's the key. And we get not happy in the hard places. When, we, when we're looking at our hard place, from God's point of view, not our own. But we have to elevate our position. How many of you have been hiking in the mountains? Probably most everyone. Most of the time when you start on a hike in the mountains, you start down in the valley, right? You start in the low place. How many of you know in the low place, you don't have much visibility? But you don't have a view. Well, all you can see is trees. All you can see is all that's around you. You have, you have, um, you don't have view. You don't have perspective. But as you begin to climb up the mountain, when you get to the top of the mountain, how many of you know? Uh, all of a sudden, you can see all around you. What did you do? You changed your position, and you changed your position so that you can clearly see. If, if we're going to find happy in the hard places, we have to train ourselves to see the hard place from God's perspective, not our point of view. Now, anytime you face a problem in faith, this is what it can be. It can be a witness to unbelievers, and it can be an encouragement to believers. A witness to unbelievers, an encouragement to believers. When you have God's perspective on that hard place, and you're going to face that hard place in faith, and when you do, unbelievers, people who don't know God, who are around you, they're going to say, what in the world? What in the world is different about that woman, that man? I mean, they're in a really hard place, yet they're happy. You know what your happy becomes? Your happy becomes a living testimony of the reality of Jesus Christ. At that point, your happy becomes more powerful than the words that you speak. Why? Because they're seeing the reality of Christ in your life. Not only that, when you're happy in the hard places, it becomes an encouragement to other believers. What your faith response fuels their faith. The lady in our congregation several months ago who was diagnosed with cancer, and the prognosis wasn't good. The doctors gave her the most a couple months to live. And so I was going over consistently visiting this lady because of her situation. Um, it didn't, the future didn't look great as far as her time on this earth. Eternity looked really good. She was in a win-win situation. But the reality of the present hard place, um, it was difficult. And so I would go visit this lady. Amazing thing, every time I would go visit this lady, in her state of life almost being gone, her life almost being over, I would always leave more encouraged than I was when I left. But in the midst of her hard place, she was living out of faith. She had God's perspective of her hard place. Therefore, she found happiness in a hard place. And she had a faith that was contagious. And she was blessing. I, would, I was supposed to go bless her. I was supposed to go encourage her. And I would leave the one being blessed and encouraged. Why? She had God's point of view. A hard place. So the first thing I think we can learn from Paul, you want to find happy in your hard place. You need to look at every problem from God's point of view. Here's the second way you can find happiness in the hard places. is never let others decide your attitude. This is really important. Never let others Decide to add the verses 15 through 17. Paul speaks of how, how there's some people who are preaching Christ out of, out of envy and rivalry. He says, there's even some who are preaching Christ out of selfish ambition, thinking that they're going to create more trouble for me. But, but notice Paul's attitude he, he, here. He writes, what does it matter? What's the big deal? Now, I, you know, I could, I could care less. Is what's important is Christ being, is that Christ being proclaimed? In other words, he was not allowing the actions of others 
to determine his attitude in the midst of his difficult place. In the midst of his conflict, he chose to be positive. Here's a, a Peanuts cartoon that I, I really like. Lucy, in this cartoon strip, says to Snoopy, to Snoopy, there, there's times when you really bug me, but I must admit there's times when I feel like giving you a big hug. And Snoopy replies, this is his comment, he says, that's the way I am, I'm huggable and buggable. <laughs> and then you know, some people are huggable, and some people are buggable. Right? It's true. And, and, and we're processing life with people who are huggable and people who are buggable. People that you're attracted to, people that, that, um, that you want to run from. But this is what you want to make sure in the midst of the hard places, you never want to allow others to determine your attitude. Listen, you don't need other people's approval to be happy. There's a, there's a lot of things in your life that you can't control, but what you can always control is your attitude, right? Listen, you, you can't control your family. Like, I, I didn't get to choose my family, right? I, I can't control my family, but what I can always control is my attitude as I'm processing life with my family, and I can choose to have a positive attitude. If I choose to have a positive attitude, then what am I going to create? I'm going to create Then oftentimes, you can't control your work environment. It's totally out of your control. But what can you control? You can control your attitude and the attitude that you choose, if it's positive, can create happiness, even in the midst of an end of the time. And it, with the government. And we even know, we can't control the decisions that the government's making. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. Do you agree with that? That we can't, listen, we can't control that. I mean, we have a vote, but ultimately, I can't control what happens at the White House, nor can you. But this is what I can control. I can always control my attitude. And if I have a positive attitude, then it's going to create the happiness that I desire in mind. Same is true for you. So second, the second thing we can learn from Paul is this. We want to choose to process life with a positive attitude. Never let others, whoever the others are, never let others determine your attitude. Here's the here's third way that you can find happy in the hard places. is this. Always trust God. Always trust God. <laughs> Notice what Paul wrote in verse 19. He says, I'm going to continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So here's Paul. I mean, think about this. Here's Paul stuck in prison cell. Yet he's confident God's deliverance. Here's Paul in a really hard place. And he really doesn't know what the future holds, but his confidence is this, is that God is the first. But Paul found happy in the hard place because, because he put his trust in God. Listen, when you're in a hard place, what you don't want to do is you don't want to make the problem bigger than God. And that's what gets us in trouble. When do we lose happiness? We don't lose happiness when we have a problem. We don't lose happiness when we have a hard place. We lose happiness when we make the problem bigger than God, then we lose sight of the greatness of God. That's when we lose happiness. When the problem is bigger than God, we lose hope. And when you lose hope, happiness exits, right? Two weeks ago, I was talking with a young man part of our Grace Covenant family, and he was in a hard place with the IRS. How I many of you know you don't want to be in a hard place with the IRS? I mean, he was in a really hard place, like $50,000 hard place. So he called me, and um, man, he, he, he was whining, complaining, 
And he asked me two questions that were so revealing. Two questions he asked me is, where's God? In my heart place, where's God? And um, the second question he asked me is, is why, why is God not doing something? So where's God and why is God not doing something? And so this is what I, I told my friend. I said, you know, you're asking the wrong question. Instead of asking why, you need to be asking what. What's, gonna, what's God going to do? What's my response need to be? And, and in the midst of his hard place, this is what I encourage you to do. I said, in your hard place, you need to do two things. You need to worship, and you need to anchor yourself to the truth of God's word. Well, it's all about trusting God, right? You need to worship, and you need to anchor yourself to the truth of God's word. A couple of days later, he calls me back, and, and he had like this huge breakthrough with the IRS. Why? Because he began to worship, and he anchored himself to the truth of God's word. In the midst of his heart, what did he do? He, he, he put his trust in God. And as he put his trust in God, even in the midst of the hard place, it was there that he began to discover happy. But we want to trust God. Amazing story. This just happened yesterday. I, I was talking with a mom. has a 12-year-old daughter. Her name, her name is Kendallin. And I mentioned her name, so I've asked you to be praying for Kendallin. Just yesterday, they discovered a tumor on her uh, pituitary Um in the back part of her brain, some lesions, and they're still trying to figure out what they're going to do. But you can imagine, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you can imagine hearing those words as a parent, that your 12-year-old has a tumor in the brain. I mean, here's the mom. She's stressing out. Um, the dad is, is concerned. And, and this is what the mom told me just yesterday. She said, Ken, Kenzie, they call her Kenzie, because Kenzie said to me, the mom it's going to be okay in All that we would have the faith of a child. And here's mom, strong believer, but flipping out because it's her daughter, obviously. But here's a 12 year old saying, We're just going to trust God. And the heart, in the heart places, folks, you can find happy if you put your trust in God. If you magnify the problem, then Wow, it, it, you're going to lose sight of God. But what do, you, what, what do we want to do? We want to put our trust in God. You know, when I come to hard places in my life, I always remind myself of the promise of God's Word in Romans 8, 48. It says this, in all things, not some things, not just in the good things, but in all things, what? God works for the good of us who love Him who are called according to His purpose. What do you need to do? The hard places, you need to worship, you need to anchor yourself to the truth of God's word. You've got to put your trust in God. And in that, you can find happy in the hard places. I think the final lesson we can learn from Paul this morning about finding happy in our hard places is this. Stay focused on your purpose, not your problem. Your purpose, not your problem. In verse 21, Paul wrote these words, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. See, Paul found happy in the hard place. Why? He was focused on the purpose, not the problem. What was his purpose? Really simple. Paul's purpose was this, to honor Christ and to serve others. His purpose was to glorify Christ and to help others. But he was focused on his purpose, not the problem, and because he was living out his purpose when he found happy in his hard place. Now, I would submit to you, Man, when you're in a hard place, what do you need to do? You need to focus on your purpose, not the problem. 
You focus on the problem, you magnify it, what happens? Happiness leaves. If you focus on your purpose, what does it do? It energizes you and it fuels you. So focus on your purpose, not your problem. So what's your purpose? I think your purpose, my purpose, is the same as Paul's purpose. What's your purpose? You glorify Christ, you serve others. Listen, your purpose is not about the career path. Your purpose in life is not about making money. Your purpose in life is not about discovering success, whatever you think that would look like. What's your purpose in life? It's this. Glorify Jesus, serve others. And listen, when you focus on glorifying Jesus and serving others, what are you going to find? You're going to find happiness in all of this. You'll find happiness in all You'll find happy in your heart. Like, why? Because you're focusing on your purpose. See, Paul was happy and changed because his purpose was bigger than his prison. His purpose was bigger than his prison. Serving Christ, serving others. So I challenge you today from the life of the Apostle Paul, always determined to stay focused on your purpose, not your problem. If you do, you'll discover happy in your heart place. As I wrap this up this morning, I, I want to talk with you about another Paul. We've been talking about the Apostle Paul, but I want to talk with you about another Paul who's one of my heroes. Uh, his name's Paul McEachern. I knew him as Brother Matt. That's what everyone called him. I met Brother Matt for the first time. Yeah, this is his picture on the screen. I met Brother Matt for the first time when I was nine years old at a church camp. Whispering Oaks, Texas. Um, Brother Mac wore crazy pants, um, wore a crazy hat. He had this hat that had two bills on it that said, I'm the leader, which way do I go? Um, he did all kinds of magic tricks. One of the things that captivated me at nine years of age, he came up and pulled a quarter out of my ear. To this day, I still don't know how he did it. But it wasn't just with me, it was with every kid that he met. The thing I love about Brother Mac is he was a man who dispensed happiness. Not only was he happy, but he brought happiness for others. A great man of God. But he wasn't a man who had an easy life. 46 years, Brother Mac pastored a church on a border town in West Texas. Hard place to pastor. 46 years. Today, there's over 40 individuals in ministry as a result of his investment. But for 46 years, he pastored this little border town church, bringing in a lot of troubled kids, difficult kids. Church never grew past 100, yet he was a man in a hard place. He was just always happy, living out a life of happiness. His wife, Christine, who he was married to for 61 years. How many of you know if you're married to someone for 61 years, you're going to have some hard times? Come on. 61 years he was married to Christine. Somewhere about halfway through their married life, that age of, at about 30 years into their marriage, his wife, Christine, had a nervous breakdown. To the point that she had to be cared for all the time. Rather than putting his wife in a facility where someone else would take care of her, I remember Brother Mac at camp always taking care of his wife. He would fix her hair, put on her makeup. 
30 plus years, making sure her clothes, not making sure that she was never left out, that she was always a part of what was happening. Brother Mac had some hard places in his life. One of the reasons he's my hero today is he never allowed his hard place to rob him of happiness or to keep him from dismissing happiness of others. He's a reminder of me, a reminder for me. And we can be happy even in difficult places. As we put our trust in God, as we focus on our purpose, not the problem. As we choose an attitude that makes way for God to bring his greatness in our life. We can have happy in other places. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, I, I thank you this morning for the promise of your word, the truth of your word, the power of your word. God, I thank you that in you, through you, and by you, we can find you. This is what I know. Like the Apostle Paul, like my friend, Brother Mac, we can find happy in the hard places. Lord, though there may be morning in the night, your word says there's joy that comes in the morning as we set our focus on. Lord, we thank you for the happiness that you bring. With every head bowed and eye closed, possibly today, you would just say, hey, I'm in a hard place. I don't know how you would define that in your life, but you're, you're in, you would just say, hey, I'm in a hard place. I want to pray for you today, specifically, that you would be able to find happy in your hard place. Is there anyone going to say, hey, I'm in, I'm in a really challenging place? Lord, I pray for a couple of folks who raised their God. I don't know what their hard places want. But they come in a lot of different forms, a lot of different shapes. Looks different for all of us, but Lord, whatever their hard place is, Lord, I pray that they would celebrate you in the midst of it, that they would worship in the midst of it, that they would be able to focus on the purpose, not the problem. And God, this is what I know. Or just like Paul comes, they're going to find happy in their hard place. But they're going to dance in the midst of the difficulty. And it's the promise of your word, and it's your provision. So we celebrate you this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.